How many of you are not happy with the weather today? Oh man, it's like you walk outside. So I, I find this, like I, I walk my dog in the morning and so I take my dog for a walk and I found that there is a, uh, an indirect uh, proportion to the lousiness of the weather and the amount of time that my dog will decide to just kind of sniff around for a lot. So I'm like standing in the pouring rain with the umbrella. I'm just feeling like very Eeyore. You know, my dog is just having the time of her life. She's just kind of like, this is just beautiful. And I'm like, she is experiencing something in this day that I'm not seeing. But whether you came in here by canoe or powerboat or a car or whatever, uh, we're glad that you're here today in this uh, rainy, snowy, sleet, snow, rain, hail, whatever it is, not gonna stop the worship. In fact, I heard my brother say here as we were coming in, someone said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to worship the most high God. Somebody say amen to that, right? That's why we're here. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord, and so we're delighted to do that. So here's a quick story for you, uh, thinking about the area of discipline, okay? Uh, We're we're in this series called Reset, and we're trying to get our our hearts and our minds kind of reset into the year as we invite the presence of God, we invite the favor of God, we're inviting his direction, and so we've kind of been going through some messages that are kind of helping us to do that well. Today I want to talk a little about about this idea of discipline and growing in discipline. And this is the time of the year where, you know, you turn the corner and everybody's talking about eating better and working out and all of these different things. We want to be disciplined. All of these things do uh, require a certain amount of discipline. So I was remembering, it's a story I've told before in some different settings, but like when I was doing some uh, workout stuff, I, was jo- I joined a gym and uh, I, w- I wasn't even married yet. I was, I was probably engaged at the time, but I was going to the gym and I would go and I'd meet a buddy of mine there sometimes. We'd spot each other. So that's the thing, you know, you do in the gym, you're lifting weight, you don't want to hurt yourself or whatever. So you get someone to spot you so you don't drop a dumbbell on your head or whatever. So I was doing the bench press and my buddy wasn't there that day. And so I was like, you know, I should try to get someone to spot me that's, that's here. And there's this one guy, you know, like the gym rats that just, they live there. You know, they're just there all the time. If you go to the gym, there's this guy, he was just always there. And so he'd be working out and he was really big and beefy and stuff. So I went over to him and I knew his name was Haas. So, <laughs> yeah, I said, hey, Mr. Haas or whatever. I said, hey, do you mind giving me a spot on the bench press? And he was like, yeah, no problem. Whatever. So he comes over. And I've never heard this guy say a word. I've never heard him talk to anybody. He was just always just kind of quiet, just doing his thing or whatever. And so I get on the bench press, and he stands over me like this. And I do my first rep, and he begins to scream at me. I, I had no idea this was going, come on. I mean, he's like yelling, let's go. You know, I was like, whoa. So this guy, I mean, he is full service. When you get him to spot you, he is going to help you achieve your discipline goals at a high, high level. And so he's yelling in my face and I, I guess encouraging me or whatever. It was the weirdest experience I did not see coming. But the thing I remember the most about it is that because he lives in the gym, he's very, very sweaty and he's standing over me like this and warm large drops of sweat are, are coming off of his hair and head and face and they are landing on my face and, and they're like going in my mouth and no, and I was just like, it was the worst experience in bench press that I've had. So I did one set that day, I thanked him for his help and then I never asked him to do that again. Uh, discipline is a thing. Discipline is needed in every area of your life, whether you're working out or whether you're growing in prayer or whether you're growing in your walk with the Lord or whether you're trying to do a better job as a husband, father, any place. Discipline matters. Somebody say amen. amen. Right? So this message today is coming from Proverbs 3. And I'm going to read Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. Uh, we read these verses last week. And so we're going to read them again. But instead of focusing on 
5 to 7, which is where we spent most of our time last week, I want to focus primarily on the last two verses, 11 and 12. And we're actually going to reference several other scriptures today. So if you take notes, you can jot some of these things down. So Proverbs 3 says, My child, never forget these things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck. As a reminder, write them deep within your heart, and then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't, upset, don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So we're going to just pray again for a moment and, and simply pray this prayer, Lord, I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss anything that you have for me today. So just give, give that prayer words in your own heart. Lord, I don't want to miss a thing. Lord, we ask collectively that you would speak to us and that you would shape us, move us, mold us, cause us to look just a little bit more like Jesus Christ today. Bring us to attention so that we would not miss anything you desire to say. And we say this in the strong name of Jesus, amen. So in these first weeks when we've been talking about resetting, we started in Psalm 90, we talked about remember, rejoice, repent, resolve, we moved to Isaiah 43 in week two, getting eyes to perceive and heart to believe and hands to receive and my sister said, and feet to proceed, I said, yeah, let's just keep adding to it. If it rhymes, you can add to the sermon, that's the rule. Proverbs 3 is where we were last week, and I have to say just a real quick side note, because if you were with us last week and then you came here today, I gave you a heads up to say we read this passage already, because I didn't want you to have that experience of sitting here and being like, is this like deja vu or something? Like, did, did I hear this before? I, I also learned something. This was years ago, 100 years ago. I was doing campus ministry at the time. Amy and I were on campus at Penn State University, so I was preaching there you know, on a regular basis. But on a certain Sunday, I was asked to come and fill the pulpit here for the lead pastor. His name was Dave Jansen at the time. And so Dave asked me, would you come and would you preach? I said, sure. And I was doing lots of preaching and teaching at the time. So I said, instead of writing a new sermon for this, I'm just going to bring something that I've just been doing on campus, sort of fresh anointing uh, on, on a, a message that I've already written. He said, that's fine. So I came in and I, and I preached this message. It happened to be at a time where the students were on a break. That's why I was able to come over. And some of our students hadn't left yet, and so they came over here as well. So you got to get the scenario. In fact, I even thought, like, I wonder what some of these, these students are going to think about this message. They just heard this message a few weeks ago. So a handful of my leaders, after the message is over, were just talking and hanging out like you do a lot of times after church. And they came up to me and they were like, dude, great message. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. Praise the Lord, whatever. And like, no, seriously, one of the best messages I've heard you preach. It was really, really good. And then one of the other student leaders chimes in, oh, I loved it too. It was so awesome. You know, and so they're, they're giving me all of these compliments, which is really nice. But then I finally had to say to them, guys, 
Do you remember that I just preached pretty much this exact same message like two or three weeks ago on campus? They were like, we didn't remember that, you know. So it was a humbling moment where you realize as a pastor, you know, there's certain things that are conveyed and retained and maybe certain things that aren't. So even the best message they ever heard, they had to hear it twice to get there. So we'll see. This week, uh, we're talking about growing in discipline. So last week, we were talking about walking in wisdom from Proverbs 3. This week, same passage, but I want to take us through this lens of saying growing in discipline. And uh, I'll give you a little, little bit of a backstory here, uh, because the three truths that I'm going to share with you, sort of give you three points that will sort of help walk you through. Uh, we do a, uh, a, a sermon talk-through uh, this has been super life-giving uh, for me. I do the primary preaching here, but anybody who's, who's preaching here on this platform uh, from our staff, we do a sermon talk through, which is on Wednesdays. We sit down and we just kind of have some dialogue. You know, here's where we are. We pray together. We're kind of leaning into the passage. And so last week as we were going through Proverbs 3, Pastor Seth actually said, he goes, you know, three things that stand out to me as I'm looking at this is just this idea of, you know, a God that loves his children, God's children that need guidance, and uh, God giving guidance. He said, I just kind of see this unfolding. So I just jotted those things down. We come back a week later and I said, well, okay, I'm preaching on the same passage and I'm using your comments that you said from last time, your notes. And I'll tell you why I share that, not just to give credit where credit's due and thanking my staff for the, the great way in which they encourage, but this idea that if we are not open to guidance and we are not open to anything other than going it alone, we will find actually that discipleship is a very difficult path, and it's hard to find. So this idea of working together and leaning on one another becomes important. I'll tell you more about that as we go. The first point that Seth so wonderfully shared uh, is that God loves his children. And as you read here these last few verses, for the Lord corrects those he, what? Loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And I actually want us to really spend some time on this today because in many ways, it's such a simple concept and we would say, sure, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son and we understand the love of God, but sometimes I wonder, do we really understand the love of God? Some of us are in a place, maybe right now, you find yourself in a place where it's like, man, God is correcting all of these things in my life, or I'm experiencing a season of his rebuke or his correction or all of these kind of things, and it feels as if God doesn't love you. And yet here's the beautiful promise, and especially for those of us who are in this place right now of getting some correction, the Lord corrects those he loves. And it makes me wonder, is there any more foundational or relational concept in Scripture or in the discipline of getting set in Him than the connection between God as Heavenly Father and me as His child, you as His child? It was actually the starting point of prayer, right? When Jesus' disciples come to Him and say, teach us how to pray. We see how you pray and you have this connection to the Father. How do you do that? And He says, I'll teach you how to pray. And the first thing He says is, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. Jesus established that in prayer and we see that coming through. So I just asked the question, is there any more foundational or relational concept than the connection between God as heavenly father and me as his child? And then here's the other question. Is there any place that the enemy will attack more? You see, because some of you right now are wrestling with the question, does God actually love me? 
And it's probably because you're walking through some trials and you're walking through some challenges and you're walking through some things. It's maybe because you've been asking for something, you're not sure the direction that God is gonna give you. And so the enemy comes and he, he whisper, begins to whisper this in your ear. Does God really love you? He attacks at that very critical place. Does God really love you? Maybe some of you are looking at your track record and you're saying, man, I'm trying to do better here and I'm trying to work here. I'm trying to see improvement here, but I'm, I'm struggling or whatever. And the enemy comes along and says, yeah, does God really love you? How could God really love you? Man, you're a mess. Look what's going on in your life. How could God really love you? The promise here, I want you to be anchored in this today because I think that discipline doesn't work if we do not understand the Father heart of God first. And what I mean by discipline doesn't work, I don't mean that you're not going to try, I don't mean that you're not going to be disciplined in any way, but what I'm going to say is that you're going to be working for the wrong motives. You're going to be always trying to, and somebody in that place, right, you're always trying to earn that next thing, if I could just get to that place, if I could just show somebody that I'm worth loving. But God loves his children. This is also sort of exacerbated by the world that you live in because for many of us to understand the father love of God, we've got to undo the father wounds that we have experienced in life. And here's the thing about father wounds. It seems like everybody's got them. Even those of us who had like good dads, I have a good dad, you know, loved me and took care of me, never abused me, never uh, was unfaithful to my mom, like any of those kind of things. I'm not a good dad, but all of us have father wounds. And it's oftentimes because dad doesn't know how to impart something because he has never received it himself. So if you are a dad or called to be a dad, just understand that there's a high calling of imparting the identity and the destiny of God to the next generation. But listen, we live in a world where one in four people are growing up in the United States fatherless. So this reality, this statistical reality, leads to a whole litany of issues when it comes to increased issues of poverty, increased issues of prison, increased issues of unplanned pregnancy, and then that generational uh, bondage continues. That's why, uh, if you look in your bulletin, we didn't announce it today, but we have things like Keystone Family Alliance. They have a banquet coming up on February 20th. That's why we're partnering with ministry like that because of the fatherless epidemic in our world. We want to see kids that are grounded in forever families and so we're actually helping families that are doing that right now that's another subject for another day but it comes down and is born out of this reality God loves his children so into our brokenness if you look at the brokenness in your life you look at the brokenness in your world you realize it's there into our brokenness scripture points us back to this foundational relationship that I'm asking you today to view in the context of discipleship What does it mean to grow in Christ? What does it mean to become more like him? What does it mean to adopt a kingdom culture or mindset? Well, we do this, first of all, in the place of knowing that God loves his children. Galatians 4 is a passage that we read a lot of times around Advent because it says this is God sent his son. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And this is what it goes on to say in that passage. He sent him to redeem those under the law that we may receive adoption to sonship. 
And then says, because you are his sons or daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You see, how much of scripture is actually grounded in this idea that you are a child of God if you are in Christ? And he could have used a whole lot of other things to describe that relationship, but scripture again and again points it back. John 1 is another great example. If you're taking notes, write this down. John 1, 12 starts in verse 9 by saying, the true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. It's talking about Jesus. He was in the world and through the world was, uh, though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Then listen to this verse 12. Yet to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, he could have used a lot of different expressions to say what is it like to come into a right relationship? What does it mean to walk in the discipleship or the discipline where God is correcting those he loves and causing you to grow in Christ? And the phrase that he said is he calls you children. Now here's what I would love for you to see. Point number one is very simple. God loves his children. Jesus was resetting the love of the Father in the hearts of his believers. If and when you understand that, the idea of his correction, the idea of his direction, the idea of going through times where you're gonna experience the pain of being stretched or the pain of being challenged or something feeling broken, etc., as Jesus is working in your life and as God the heavenly Father is watching over you. How many of you said, I've come to a place in my walk with God, I didn't understand what he was doing, right? Raise a hand, show, show that you're not alone, show that I'm not alone. Okay, good, right? a lot of us. How many of you, same question, but this, how many of you have come to that place of saying, I didn't understand what God was doing and actually came to find out that God was doing something for my good, even if it was painful? Raise a hand. Lots of us, tons of us. That is, a, that is a faith moment right there. You look around the room because some of you are saying, I don't see what God is doing. And yet here's the, here's the thing, that Jesus was actually resetting the love of the Father in the hearts of his followers. Let me just give you another quick example and then I'm gonna get on to our second point. See, this is stuff I didn't say in the first service because I didn't have time. This is bonus material, Editor, editor's cut. Okay, here we go. When I was, uh, when we, Amy and I were newly uh, first, first parents, okay, you bring, bring you this little baby home. That's a whole experience too. This little thing that you would die for and you have no idea what to do with. Okay. Um, so you're learning how to take care of this child. And one of the things that you experience with a new child is that you have to do things like you have to give it shots. You don't do it probably yourself, but you take it to the doctor because it's time for like getting shots. So most of you experience this kind of your parents took you. And so you put this little child uh, on the table and, and you, you subject them to the mercy of some grizzled nurse with injectors who's just like, bam, you know, vaccines or whatever that they, they need to get. And here's the thing. You're doing this for your child because you love them. You're doing this for your child because you believe that this, is, this has their best interest in mind. And your child is looking at you like, what are you doing to me? 
Like you are inflicting pain into my life and I don't know how to process any of this right now. And I'll tell you what, it breaks your heart unless you're just sort of callous or whatever, whatever, kid needs shots. You know, but most of us as parents, it's like kind of breaks your heart to have to do this and yet you understand that you're doing this kind of thing for the good of this child and for their future. So Jesus was resetting the love of the father in the hearts of his followers. Our statement number one is simply this, God loves his children and it's simple enough that you can understand that as a child And you can also spend the rest of your life sort of pondering the the depths of that significance. If you are a child of God today, meaning that you have received Jesus Christ in your heart and life, the promise is that God loves you and the promise connected to it is this. If he loves you, he's going to correct you. That is the heart and the foundation of discipleship. So Jesus was resetting the love of the Father. The truth is this. Jesus is resetting the love of the Father in the hearts of his followers. If you want to grow in discipline this year, start by rediscovering the Father heart of God. So before you make up your mind to say, I'm going to eat better, I'm going to read the Word, I'm going to do this, I'm going to exercise or whatever, start by understanding that spiritual discipline comes when you understand the heart of the Father. That's a good word for somebody today. That's statement number one. Statement number two is this. God's children need guidance. Somebody's like, amen. I know some of God's children, and amen to that. I was actually in the first service. So I looked over. I was talking about how, how we need God's guidance and some of these things I'm sharing or whatever. And, and a friend of mine that I know is over here, and he works with a, he's sort of a new friend. I'm just getting to know him. But he works with like an opioid crisis uh, uh, ministry. And so I was talking about the fact that like we are really broken when it's left up to us. And so I looked over to him and I said like you can ask him right over here. And, and he was it was kind of like I was calling him out. And I was like well I don't mean well okay anyway. So we had this awkward moment together. I had to go over and say afterwards I said yeah I didn't mean to call you out like that. He goes oh it's cool it's true. God's children need guidance. My child don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. So this idea of needing guidance will sort of have a twofold effect on your life. Your, your new nature in Christ will tend to lean in. Your, your new nature in Christ is, is what we get when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we come into a faith walk with Christ. Many of us do that after we've made a pretty big mess of our lives, you know? So we go through different things, we experience different things, we realize I need Jesus. So the new nature will tend to lean in. The old nature will tend to resist the idea of God's guidance and oftentimes guidance at all. So one of my friends likes to say this. uh, He's an older gentleman. He always makes me laugh. He says, he goes, Aaron, you're going to experience this a lot of times in life. When the overbearing parent in you brings out the rebellious teenager in me. So some of you experience that in a, in a literal sense where the more you try to correct your rebellious teenager, you, you become a little overbearing and then you bring out the rebellious teenager. But I've used that a lot of times when people at time, oh no, you gotta do this, you have to do this, you have to, well, it could be that the overbearing parent in you is bringing out the rebellious teenager in me. We don't like being told what to do. Somebody say amen to that. And yet we gotta hold that intention with the fact that God's children need guidance. So what do we do? The late Christopher Hitchens uh, man, he was staunch in his atheism, and he was, he was if, if you read any of his stuff or followed him, I mean, he was very antagonistic to things of the faith. And this is what he said. He said, religion in general, religion is a totalitarian belief 
It is a wish to be a slave. That's what he said. It is the desire that there be an unalterable, unchallengeable, tyrannical authority who can convict you of thought crime while you are asleep, who can subject you to total surveillance around the clock every waking and sleeping minute of your life before you're born, and even worse, when the real fun begins, after you're dead. This is a celestial North Korea. That was his response to the idea that people need guidance. Why is that? The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life, who is equal to such a task. You know? So you live in a world, you exist in a culture, and even within yourself, there is an old nature that will be resistant to, sometimes violently resistant to, the idea of the guidance of God. And you will find in your old nature and in your world and in the cultural streams in which you swim, all that kind of stuff, this is the world that we live in, that there is an idea that I don't want the guidance of God because I think I've got this in and of myself. We want to be sort of fiercely independent and we praise independence. But there's a paradox here that also comes to mind. That even as we are resistance to guidance, we are also desperately seeking guidance at the same time. And you only need to look at people looking for advice on what to do with their finances. There's people that are by the thousands, if not millions, hiring trainers at the gym. Why are they doing that? Because they're saying, I don't really have this in and of myself, and I need somebody else to help me. You can read through a litany of self-help books, which are actually ironically titled, unless you're the author. You're actually doing what somebody else has encouraged you to do. So we find ourselves in this weird paradox when it comes to guidance. The scriptural promise is this. God's children need guidance. God's children need a heart of discipleship. And if you could become like Jesus on your own, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. John 15, 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah, so, so there's something about we need to die to the old nature that says, I've got this on my own and joyfully receive the promise that God's children need guidance. One of my friends shared this with me. I think this actually came from our staff meeting as well. They said, my parents used to say, this is not a democracy, it's a benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> Speaking of their parenting relationship. The fact of the matter is that if we want to pursue things like wisdom, guidance, correction, what we will find is this. They are not easy, and they're not easy to get, but they are good for us. So if you want to grow in discipleship this year, you need to start by rediscovering the Father heart of God. You also need to start by receiving from others, and especially God. That comes from a discipleship posture that says, I don't have it within myself to be all that God wants me to be. And that's actually not a bad place to be at all. Now you're actually ready to receive something. Now you're actually ready in your weakness for his power to be made perfect. Now you're actually ready to grow because you're not stuck on yourself. Somebody say amen to that. It's a big thing. It's a big deal. It's a big posture shift. It's going to take a lot. So the reason I brought up the sermon talk through in the beginning 
and gave props to Seth because I'm speaking his points that, that he's bringing to us. And I did tell them, I said, well, once you come to the sermon talk through meeting, intellectual property means nothing. It's now part of the collective. So I'm going to preach your points. He said, great, go for it. But the fact of the matter is, as a disciple in Christ, there is a beautiful interdependence that we are called to. That is what the body of Christ is about. Where my brothers and my sisters help to refine my thinking, my preparation, my stewarding of what ultimately must come from God anyway. So you start to see this kind of, this John reality that, you know, the, the apostle John, are, are, they're looking at, his, his followers are looking at Jesus and they're like, that guy that you baptized, he's baptizing people and he's doing all this kind of stuff. And John says to, to, to these people that are concerned, they say, you don't understand. This is how it has to be. He's got to become greater. I've got to become less. And in that place, you're in a good place for discipleship as well. So God's children need guidance and we're in a place to receive when we do that. And then the last point is simply this. I'm gonna do it real quick. Um, God gives guidance. And I'll tell you why I think that's important. Because this message would really stink if the bottom line was saying God's children need guidance. Good luck. (laughs) Have a good year. I hope you find some. No, the discipleship path of, of culture change and thinking kingdom instead of world and thinking new nature instead of old nature. And, and sometimes this is a, there's some violent changes. If you really get into what is the Holy Spirit asking of me, this is the core of discipleship. What is he calling me to do to look more like Christ, etc.? God gives guidance. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. The Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Max Lucado used to say, God loves you the way that you are and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. God is gonna give you guidance. If you are open and you listen and you open your hands, guidance is a real thing. Correction, a real thing. Discipline is a real thing. Following in the way of Jesus is a real thing. This is the question, though, if, if, we, can, if we can get our mind around those promises. Here is the question that I think you've got to wrestle with, and I'll let you wrestle with it some this week. To what end are we called as disciples of Christ? To what end? Most of us that are here today, maybe you've had experience with church in the past, and so you hear words like discipleship, and you go, that's actually a little bit of an odd word when you really stop and think about it, but, but you've heard that enough that you go like, oh, okay, discipleship. And even the sort of idea of becoming more like Christ in the way that we think and the way that we act and our attitudes, you, you go, yeah, sure, sure. That, that's part of, of what it means to, to be a disciple of Christ, for sure, that makes sense to you. But what's the goal? What's the end? Why do we do this? Get together, big groups of people, and sing songs, and pray prayers, and listen to a guy get up and yell and shout at you. Like, what, what are we doing? Why do we serve and, and pack food for hungry people? Why, why do we do that? Why do we have a Bible study? Why do we read books? Why do we do all of these things that we oftentimes call discipleship? What is the end? Well, I would suggest maybe this. When I think about the goal of discipleship, it's not just information transfer. I think, I think we, we tend to go there really quickly, like in our cultural context, we say, well, what books have you read lately? You know, what are you reading in particular? 
studying, memorizing. But it can't just be information transfer. And I say that because some of the people who got the biggest rebukes from Jesus were like Bible scholars and they they knew the word inside and out and they, they were disciplined in all kinds of good ways. But Jesus had harsh words for them. Talking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Goal of discipleship is not information transfer. Goal of discipleship is not behavior modification. Although, as you are discipled and as you grow in Christ, you will change a lot. All of that, and all of that's good. I would even suggest to you today that the goal of discipleship is not even greater fruit, even though you will be more fruitful as you learn to abide in Christ. So what is it? Where does all this thing lead? And how do I know if I'm going in the right direction? Well, I would suggest Philippians 3. We started that in our prayer time with Paul actually saying this. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, and here's how he clarifies it. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If we begin with understanding the Father's love for us, knowing our need for guidance, knowing that God gives guidance, I think what it does is it keeps us in the pursuit of knowing Christ instead of finding that we've just sort of become more pharisaical, more legalistic. We, we, we're proud of ourselves. You, if, if you find yourself proud of yourself for how well your disciplines are working out, you, you might want to just take that as a warning sign because what Paul said is, all of these things that I could consider gain, I count as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And the reason I know that was a huge value for him and when, when God first started getting a hold of my life, it, it was as if the Holy Spirit said, that's what you have to go after. Let your discipline and your reading and your scripture memorization and your prayer and all of that stuff lead you to a place of saying, I'm learning how to know who Christ is. The reason I know this was a value to Paul is because when he talked to the Ephesian church, he's writing to them and he's saying how much he loves them and how much he prays for them. And this is what he says, I pray for you. And what do you pray for us, Paul? I pray that you would know how wide and how long and how deep and how wide the love of Christ, the love that surpasses knowledge. This is where we sell ourselves short. We say discipleship and say, what are you reading? Jesus says discipleship and says, who do you love? And who do you pursue the most? So this to me feels like just a beautiful sort of gut check, an opportunity to come before God in a new year and say, Lord, what am I pursuing? And to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit say, come and seek me with all your heart. Make that your goal. Let your disciplines lead to the end of saying, I want to know Christ and all that he has to offer. I'll give one last little uh, example and then uh, the worship team, you guys can actually come up now if you want. We'll we'll wrap up here in just a minute. Uh, Timothy Keller was a big hero of mine. He passed away this last year and uh, wrote so many good books and so many 
Um, so many incredible things, sermons that he preached, and what a mind he had. That was the thing that was just so incredible to me when I would read him. I'd just say, what a mind this guy has to process culture and history and bring all of these things into sort of a, a gospel light. So, so beautiful. So Timothy Keller died of cancer, and, and he, he shared a story. I'll just paraphrase a little bit. I, he shared about being in that space of not really knowing, but he said obviously it was, it was frightening because you, know, you, you find that you have cancer and your life you know, may be ending. I think he said something like, I didn't think I would feel this young at this age. Like, I still feel like I got this life to live you know, that I wanna hold on to. Um, and so he's, he's wrestling with it, he's grappling with it, and he's going to the hospital uh, to get some tests done. And I don't remember exactly where this was in his process, but he obviously died, I think, probably within another year. So he goes to the hospital, and he's getting these tests done. He's lying on this bed, getting wheeled back. And for any of you who have had surgery or tests in the hospital, that's always just sort of scary experience either. You, have, you know, naked with a stupid hospital gown on top of you and bright lights and whatever. And so he's in that place, and he said that the presence of the Lord uh, sort of encountered him. And he said, in the midst of that sort of uncertainty, he said there was this deep peace that came. I started to think about the presence of the Lord and the, the promises of God and all that he has done and, and really how insignificant my life is and the totality of who God is and everything. But there was this encounter with God that caused him to say, I think everything is going to be okay. He didn't mean that in an earthly way. He was saying, like, come what may. You know, whatever, even if this is the end for me, which he wasn't too far from. Peace. What struck me about that testimony was here is this guy that is just a scholar, so, so knowledgeable. He, he understands it. He understands so many things. But when it came down to sort of the end, it was the presence of Jesus himself. And the whisper of Jesus, I know who you are. That's what sustained him. It wasn't his learning. It wasn't his churches that he planted. It wasn't his achievements. It wasn't all these things. All of those good. All of those for the kingdom. All of those he probably said, I don't want to take back any of that. But what sustained him was the presence of God. I know you. So God does give us guidance. And the goal of discipleship when it's all said and done is that we would have intimacy in knowing Jesus. So I pray for that a lot. I pray for you for that as well. Today as we close the service, I wanna just give you an opportunity. I'm gonna sit here in the front and I'm gonna ask the Lord to help me to love him and to know him better in the coming year. That's my commitment for today. It's very simple. He's good at meeting me where I am. Uh, I wonder if somebody here wants to join me, right? And that can be for the person that maybe for the first time you're saying, I need to bow my knee to the Lordship of Jesus. I've never done that before. Today's the day that I'm gonna bow my knee to the Lordship of Christ and say, Lord, I wanna know who you are. I don't wanna know just facts about you. I don't wanna know people's opinions about you. I wanna know who you are. And you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling you as, as deep calls to deep, right? His spirit calls to your spirit saying, come on, come on, let's go. We got an adventure to go on. Let's do that. A lot of you that are here, you've made that commitment to Christ. You bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus, confessed your sin, you received the forgiveness of the Lord. I wonder, are, are you done? Are you done growing in that journey? I hope you're not. 
I hope you're not. And whether you're 100 years old today, 15 years old today, six years old today, 25, whatever, wherever you find yourself, if today's the day that you're just saying, you know, I'm, I want to know Christ better. I want that to anchor my discipleship as I go into this year. That's the invitation. So would you stand? I'm going to just say a quick prayer over you, then I'll invite, if you want to come. Uh, in fact, if, if you do want to come and just pray that, just spend a little time with the Lord in prayer, one, I would encourage you to, uh, but two, just, you can just start coming right now. Just don't even wait, okay? Just make your way up. You can sit here in the front seats or you can kneel. Uh, you can be still, but just make that your commitment. Uh, Jesus, we're grateful today. Oh God, you're, you're a heavenly father that loves your children. And you haven't loved us because of our perfect track record and you haven't loved us because we've gotten it all right because none of us have done that. We acknowledge that before you. You are a God that loves your children. And so we just say, God, thank you for that. Thank you for that today. God, we are a people that need guidance. And so we, we pray, Lord, that you would set in motion things for this year. God, that we would listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit, even today, right where we are. God, we just say we're listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, that you would guide, that you would direct, that you would correct, that you would rebuke, that you would cause us to look more like Jesus, that we would be quick to say yes to the things that you call us to do. So we're, we're acknowledging that before you. And Lord, you are a God that gives guidance. And so today we would say, would you lead us forward? Father, in all of this, we pray that uh, the goal would not be that we feel better about ourselves, that we learn more things we didn't know before, that we even can say, oh, look, look how much more fruitful I've been. But Lord, that we would be able to say, I'm learning to know Jesus better. I'm learning to hear his voice. I'm learning to respond when he calls. I'm learning to love him well. So if that's your heart today, uh, join me up at the front and we'll wait on the Lord. And even as we sing this last closing song, we'll ask the Lord to meet us. In Jesus' name.